might like to grab out your Bibles in readiness. We're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 as you head back there. I'm not sure if any of these are actually funny, but does anyone else like fridge magnets? You know, your little fridge magnet quotes, a few people. My mother was a fridge magnet hoarder. She had a fridge of fridge magnets. Here are some from her fridge. One is, uh, and I'm not sure if any of these necessarily apply to her. Probably shouldn't have had that disclaimer at the start. One says this, We've tried so many times to baby-proof our house, but somehow they keep still getting in. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. It wasn't bad. Here's one. They say you should be nice to at least one person today. Today isn't your day. Tomorrow doesn't look so good either. <laughs> is not so much funny but maybe a perspective on life when life knocks you down don't get up just stay down and have a rest <laughs> make the most of it perspective is helpful isn't it so let's pray and we'll share some scriptures together lord we thank you for your incredible perspective that we we see revealed throughout scriptures that you're a god of incredible grace a God of mercy, a God of kindness, a God of love and compassion that you extend towards us who least deserved it. And Lord, I ask that as we just spend some moments together in your word, reflecting, would you reveal more of your heart? Lord, we don't need just more information. We need more of you. We need to allow your love and who you are, the truth of your word, transform us to mold us and make us into your image so i pray lord through the power of your holy spirit come and do the work that you desire to do in our hearts thank you that we are yours may that reality always be central in our lives the rest of the details the outworking of that incredible truth that you love us that you came for us that you died to set us free to make us yours May we know your heart, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read from uh, verse 9, verse 10. I think we covered about a verse and a half last week, so we did well. And we'll continue on. But this is just a wonderful portion in this book where Peter's talking to us about our perspective, particularly concerning things going on around. So by way of review, for those who perhaps haven't, haven't been with us the last week, haven't listened to the podcast. Verse 9 said this. This, is, this was our focus last week. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Evil being evil in a general sense around us. Reviling being personal attacks, personal stuff coming against us. Remembering that Peter is talking to a group of believers to whom this was a reality. They were experiencing persecution, they were experiencing difficulty, there was hardships that were happening. This wasn't theoretical, this was their reality. But he's saying there is evil, there's personal stuff. Here's your mission. On the contrary to all that you see around you, bless. For to this you were called. And so we unpacked what it means for us to be a people in the midst of evil, in the midst of anything coming against us personally, who look to bless, remembering by way of review for those who weren't with us last time, that blessing is a declaration of hope. 
It's a reality that God is willing, God is able, He's at work, and He's wanting to use us. We get to partner with Him in this glorious mission of the gospel. The gospel is always redemptive. He is a redeeming God. That's what He's done. We unpacked what that looks like, what that means, and the fact that we get to then carry the same message of redemption that the world around us, the people around us, in our families, in our city, in our nation, so desperately need to see. The scripture declares our own lives show the reality that whatever happens around us, to us, in this world, the greater the evil, the greater the opportunity for his gospel of redemption. Praise God for that. So let's read on. That kind of gets us up to speed with where we are. On the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. You see, there is a blessing for the blesses. Those who have this heart, this mentality, those who recognize and realize that although we're a society that's increasingly segregated, that everybody wants to find someone to blame, it doesn't really matter who you blame, as long as there's someone you can blame. We'll blame the politicians, we'll blame the Christians, we'll blame people who have this view or that color skin. That's the world around us. And it's getting worse and not better. We're resisting the resistors. But in the midst of that, we get to be a part of the redemptive power of the gospel and the plans of our God who is good, who is at work accomplishing his purpose and his plans. But there's a blessing. There's a blessing for those people who would choose to bless. And this is the blessing. And Peter's going to quote here from Psalm 34. So we're actually going to turn there in a moment. But let's read his quote and then we'll go and get the context. He says this, Whoever desires to love life and to see good days. Who would like that blessing? Anyone want to love life? Anyone want to see good days? That literally means to experience, to enjoy, to know the goodness of God in our lives. Let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Isn't that a good phrase there? To be peace pursuers. And then verse 12, I love this. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Now, if that's not a promise to underline in your Bible, I don't know what is. For the eyes of the Lord, the Almighty God... And literally, that, the picture associated with that encouragement is his eyes will never leave you. His gaze will always be directed towards you, and his ears will ever be open to your prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So how can we summarize this blessing? I think he's saying for those people who choose to bless, who choose to have this perspective that hey God is at work and he actually wants to use us to be a part of his redemptive purposes around us in society here's the blessing you will know the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God in your life and the Lord's eyes will always be on you and he will answer your prayer when you call to him you will have an effective prayer life two incredible promises so I want to look at, at both of these in their context and think, well, how does this relate to this mission? What does it mean to know the grace and the goodness, the joy, experience, 
all that the Lord has for us in our lives. And what does it mean to be this people whose God listens to their prayers? Incredible. So, turn with me to Psalm 34. As I said, Peter here is quoting from Psalm 34. It's a wonderful psalm. In the interest of time, we won't read the whole thing, but the context, because it helps a little bit, this is in, in one of David's dark nights of the soul. There's a big rebellion that's come against him from within his own family, and yet he declares in the midst of all that's happening around him that God's good, that God's there. The God's faithful. He begins in 34.1. He says, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Magnify the Lord together. And then from verse 4, he begins to say, why is it that he is so intent on magnifying the Lord? What, what is this that he's experienced that Peter's pointing us towards in the reality of the circumstances that David was facing? Verse 4, he says, this is, this is his reason. This is why he says, let's boast in the Lord. Let's magnify him. Let his praise be ever on our list. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Where did he know the deliverance of the Lord? From the midst of his fears. Let's go on. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him. When did the Lord hear him? In the midst of his tears, in the midst of his grief, in the midst of his sorrow. And saved him out of all his troubles. Where did he experience the salvation, the deliverance of the Lord? In the midst of his troubles. These are not trick questions, by the way, just in case you're wondering. You're thinking there's a catch there, I'm sure. I know there is. Here's a wonderful passage, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Who would like that promise? The angel of the Lord encamps. He sets up his camp around those who will fear him. And that word there for fear literally meaning to reverence him, to honor him, to realize who he is. And he will deliver them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. When do we need a refuge from the Lord? When we're in a time of trouble. And then he quotes, which we've already read. Listen to me, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is there who desires this life? Loves many days so that he may see good. And he continues on. Here's the point here. So we said the first part of this promise is that we will know the provision we would know the protection, we'd know the deliverance, we'd know the strength, we'd know the refuge of the Lord. Where is it that we find all of those things? Is it in the absence of stuff, from trials, from tribulation, or is it right in the very midst? It's right in the very midst. You're looking a little confused. I know, it's early. I'll give you the answers, don't worry. See, this is exactly Peter's point. He's saying, he's just painted this picture. He said, there's evil, there's reviling, there's stuff going on. But I want to give you this promise that if you choose to look and be part of the redemptive purpose and plans of God, regardless of what's going on, you will find in the midst of that stuff, the Lord's deliverance. You'll find in the midst of that, the Lord's protection. You'll find in the midst of that, that the Lord himself 
will encamp around you and will deliver you from all of your fears. So we so often have this misnomer in Christian faith that somehow the mission of the Lord, we believe in him, and it's just for him to take us out of every trial. Every trial we experience, and we look back on our life and we think, well, there was a difficult one, and you know, the Lord just translated us. All of a sudden, we were up and then we're down on the other side. Next trial, same thing again. We're raptured away and then we come back at the end. And as we look back on our lives, we've never experienced any difficulty, any hardship. The Lord's just prevented it all from happening. Whereas scriptures paint a very different picture. Jesus himself, he said, in this world, there will be trials. There will be. There will be stuff. But take heart because I have overcome. I'm greater than any trial that you will experience. You see, the mission, the purpose, the plan, the promise of God is not that we'd see his grace in the absence of trials, but is that we would find his provision and his protection in the midst. That he would prove himself through the things that happen. Not taken from, but proven through. Issues will not magically dissolve away, but Jesus is promising. Absolutely, that in the midst of everything, that you will know his provision. That you will know his protection. That you will know his deliverance. That you will know the goodness of God every day of your life. In the midst of the stuff. Let me try and illustrate this with a story. Some of you may have heard this one. And you all know that I've been blessed with four very beautiful sermon illustrations that feature from time to time. And there was one moment where I took two of these sermon illustrations for a swim at the beach. And it was one of those days where there was some significant surf. They both love the beach. They love the waves. They love getting out there. And I'm always with them. But this was one of those days where even I stood on the shore and I thought, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's, it's pretty big out there. And they're both pretty good swimmers. But, you know, I'll be with them. And so we were there on the beach. And as soon as we got down there and saw the size of these waves... One of my girls, the eldest one, she took one look and she was like, there is no way in the world I'm even putting my big toe in the water. Forget about it. There's no way I'm going in there. And she was true to her word. I coaxed her for some time, but she said, no. She sat there with her arms crossed and I watched her. We were out in the surf for probably about an hour, possibly longer. And from time to time, I'd look back to the shore and I'd try and get her in there. <coughs> she'd stand up and she'd mope around and she'd be cross. You know, that you'd sit down again in a huff and think, no, I'm not going to do this. There's too many waves. It's too big. It's too scary. Whereas my other girl, certainly she saw the waves and you could see initially <coughs> she was thinking, how's this going to go? There's big waves. I'm not so sure. But I gently coaxed her and I said, it's going to be all right, sweetheart. We'll give it a go. And the first big sets that came through, we went over, we went under. And you could see that she was slowly gaining in confidence confidence was building she was getting braver and then I remember the moment she caught her first wave she was there surfing huge smile on her face and she came back she was she said dad this is the best surf ever this is fantastic because the, there's big waves but the bigger the waves the bigger the ride she was so excited and so we went for some time and then I said to her at one point when we'd just you know gone through some particularly big sets of waves and I said to her, sweetheart, I can see that you, you're not scared at all. You know, here's one girl, she's sitting on, on the sand, not even going to give it a go. 
And here's another girl out with me, right out far, out the back, past the breaking waves, and she's not scared at all. I said, how is it that you're not scared at all? And it was just the simplest, most straightforward answer she said without thinking about it. She said, well, it's because you're with me. It's because you're right here. I mean, how could I be afraid when my daddy is right next to me here in the midst of the waves? You see, this is the message that I'm trying to put before us this morning. Jesus is saying that there are waves, there are storms, there are trials. But there's a God who says, I'll be with you. And not only will I be with you, but everything that happens, be it big, be it small, be it scary, I'm going to use it for the good of those who trust me. There is a battle, but there's no victories without the battle. There's no triumph without trials. There's no spoils without suffering. There's no crowns without the cross and every other Christian cliche you can possibly think of. He's the God who takes the greatest trials and turns them into triumphs and testimonies of his grace. He says, I will be with you. You can count on that reality. And I use that illustration for this purpose as well because I feel this is for many of us now, but if not now, there'll be times in our lives where it's very easy to sit on the shore of defeat. You know, if you want to find something to be discouraged about, it'll take you about two seconds. Just turn on your news. Just open your eyes. There's discouragement everywhere. And it's so tempting to say, you know what? No, I'm just going to sit on the shore of defeat. Now, forget that. I mean, how could there be a God? Look, at there's waves. This, this, you know, this is, this is it's too much. I'm just going to grumble. I'm going to complain. I'm just going to wallow in it a little bit and just really enjoy my frustration. I won't ask for a show of hands if anyone's been in that place. I know I have at times. We just don't even want to try. And yet here's the promise of God. He's saying, hey, I, I know there's evil around, there's stuff happening, but here's the guarantee. If you will just trust me, if you will just step off the shore into the waves, you will discover the faithfulness of God. You will discover the promise of God. You will discover the victory of God in the midst of all of those things that will come against you. Because there will be storms, and that's our choice. Our choice is to sit on the shore of defeat, be miserable, or is to say, you know what? No, I, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to step out there, and I'm going to see and believe that I will see his goodness in the land of the living. But there's a second part, as we saw to this promise. So the first promise is this, that if we will be a people who bless, that God promises he will be with us, not in the absence of stuff, but right there in the midst of the stuff, his goodness will shine through. The second promise is this, that whatever happens, he will answer our prayers, that he is willing and that he is able to respond when his people cry out to him. You see it time and time again through that psalm. The Lord, David says, the Lord delivered me. He delivered me in this place. He strengthened me in this place. I cried out. And in fact, he goes as far as to say, we read it in 1 Peter, that the eyes of the Lord will never leave the righteous. That his ears will always be open to their prayer. Now that's a promise right there. So I want to talk about that just for a moment. Grab your Bibles again, look at one more passage. 
And then we'll try and bring this back together again. But turn to Luke chapter 18. There's many good passages on prayer that I love, but I think this one is applicable in this area of prayer that really we're talking about this morning. Jesus tells this parable. It's the parable of the persistent widow. And I'm very grateful that he gives us an explanation in chapter 18, verse 1 of Luke's gospel. Because if he didn't, I'd have absolutely no idea what this was about. But up front, it says, Jesus taught them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. So there's his mission in telling this story. And you've got to understand that, otherwise the story doesn't make any sense. It's a strange analogy. Two things, that we should always pray. Believers should always be a prayerful people. It's both our privilege and our priority. But the second one is to not lose heart. And this is a story where it would be easy to lose heart. But Jesus is saying even in the midst of those situations where it's, it's easy to lose heart, and that word for lose heart literally there means to be discouraged, to be weary, to be utterly spiritless, to be worn out or to be exhausted. He's telling the story to say there are moments in life that you will feel like that. What do you do in the midst of those moments? Here's the best thing you can always do is to pray. It's to seek the Lord. is to recognize that his ears are open to your prayers. So here's the story. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this, woman, this widow keeps bothering me, pestering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now that's an interesting phrase right there, isn't it? And the Lord says, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And yet he then sticks on this phrase at the end of this little parable. And if this doesn't sort of get you in the ribs, I don't know what will. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? If you look at the original language, it literally means, will he find this kind of faith? This is linked to the parable. Will he find a people who in the midst of moments where they could have been discouraged, they could have been weary, they could have been utterly spiritless, worn out, exhausted, they could have been hopeless, they could have been camped out on the shores of defeat. Will he find a people of faith who can be the sort of people that Peter's describing to look for the goodness of God in the midst of whatever is going on and grab a hold of what he's saying and pray and pray. And pray and keep on praying until the purposes and the plans of God are revealed. Will he find this kind of faith? You see, that's a challenge. He's saying, I want a people who have this kind of faith. This is our invitation into prayer. And I had a moment this week, showing this at the early service. I caught up with someone for lunch in the city. And I don't tend to go to the city very often, but... I'd had lunch, a good lunch, catch up, and then I had a little bit of time left before I had to be back in the office, so I thought I'm going to take a wander around the city and have a look. It was lunchtime, there was people everywhere, and it's interesting, I mean, I, I can be a little bit claustrophobic at times, 
but I don't think it was that. But I just, I just felt this overwhelming sense of something as I was wandering around our city. I'm like, Lord, what, what is this? What is this thing that I'm feeling? I'm just feeling a heavy heart. And as I just wandered around, as I watched people going about their business, doing what they were doing, it was this sense. The only thing I put my finger on was it was this sense of, of hopelessness. I'm like, Lord, we are in such need of you. But how, how, can, I, how can I tell people about you? How can I be a part of your plans and purposes? Like there's thousands of people around and you know, I'm, I'm not quite bold and courageous enough. If I had been, I might have jumped up on a, a soapbox somewhere and started preaching the gospel. And, but there was just that wrestling in me of, God, there's, there's, there's so much you want to do in our city. There's so much we need you to do in our city. But I feel so hopeless. Anyone felt that? Just in spite of things like I, f- I, feel, I feel hopeless. Like I just I, I don't know what to do. And it was such a strong sense from the Lord in that place of, here's what we need to do. We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to grab a hold of the reality that God is good, that God protects, that God delivers, that God is at work. And we need to be willing to allow him to burden us for the things that are on his heart, for our city, for our families, and pray, and pray, and pray. Here's the other thing I love about this story. So it's a picture of persistence, but it's a picture of the power of prayer. In this account here, we have an unjust judge and we have a widow. Very strange pictures to use, aren't they? Remembering that in those times, the interesting thing is the widow is by herself. And you would never, as a widow, go before a judge to plead your own case. It's not a slight on widows, but in, in that society, in that time, a woman's testimony, particularly a widow's testimony, was of no value. They would always go with, hopefully, a family member. They'd be in the care of their family. They'd have someone who could advocate on their behalf. But clearly, she has no one. She's there by herself. She's a widow. She has nobody else to plead her case. And she's not going before a just judge. I mean, maybe a widow before a particularly compassionate, just judge judge would have some hope of a favorable outcome but this is an unjust judge he says i don't care about god i don't care about man i certainly don't care about this widow so he uses a story that is the least likely to obtain a positive outcome you could not think of a more helpless hopeless situation than this the the chance of justice in this scenario is zero it's gone it's negligible And so Jesus uses this extreme story of saying, even in this instance here, justice was brought about. How much more when we have the one who is just? And we come before him as his beloved sons and daughters, the righteous ones whom he has redeemed. How much more is he willing to listen? How much more is he willing to act on our behalf. And see, here's the thing with God, is He is a God. All the way throughout history, throughout scriptures, throughout modern history, He loves to use people to do what they could never do without Him. He loves to lead people into impossible, helpless situations 
so that as they trust him, he would move on their behalf. We could go all the way through the Bible. Who does he choose? He chooses the least likely. The least likely to achieve his outcomes. See, impossibilities are simply invitation to God's opportunities. They are. And I want to share just a couple of stories. I want to encourage us in this area of prayer. Because this whole thing of that I believe Peter's putting his finger on, of being a people who will bless, a people who will be a part of the redemptive gospel of grace, of not just resisting, but saying, no, we, we are put on this planet for such a time as this. God is still willing, God is still able, and he's looking for a people who will partner with him to accomplish what he desires. To say, you know what, there's stuff going on, but God is there. In every wave, the bigger the waves, the more he's there in his faithfulness and his protection and his provision. And that's what we're a part of. We're going to grab a hold of his promises and pray and pray and pray until we see his will outworked. His kingdom come and his will be done. So here's one story that I loved. And given my wife's here, I might get her to come and share it because it was in a book that she was reading. And uh, I, I attempted to share it in the early service, and she said, Andrew, you got the story all wrong. So if she shares it, then I can't get in trouble. Would you welcome my lovely wife? She's looking particularly lovely today. Are we on? I'll explain the context. So one of the, um, the big things around us is the refugee crisis, isn't it? that we've seen in our generation. There's more refugees, they say, at this particular moment than at any other time in history. And you look at that, you look at some of these other issues, and you think, how could God ever work in the midst of those circumstances? I mean, there's wars, there's stuff. How could God ever redeem that? And here's one testimony. He didn't actually. Is that on? I think so, yeah. yeah. He didn't get the whole story wrong. Oh, right. The gist was there. Okay. The details were just a bit sketchy. Right, thank um, you. Thank you. So I read a great book when we were away on holidays called Stay the Path by Bobby Houston. Um, particularly if you're a woman, I would highly recommend it. And if you were at Vision Women a couple of weeks ago, you've already heard this story. Sorry, because I shared it. Um, so uh, Bobby, as part of the colour movement, has mobilised thousands of women to all around the world to set their alarms on their phones for midday to uh, pray for the refugee crisis. And she received a text message from one of her, uh, one of their lead pastors, in one of their churches in Germany, just saying, "Bobby, I had such a burden. I could not stop praying all day. Um, God, if there are boats that are sinking, save the people." So that was sort of the gist. She was praying, "Save the people if there's boats sinking." And um, then she got a call from these same people saying that. At their next church meeting, there was a woman who came up to her husband, um, the lead pastor, to tell of the fact she was from Syria and she was on a boat and uh, it was full of refugees and the boat was sinking and they were all crying out because they knew that they were going to die and Jesus appeared to all of them on the boat and after he had appeared to them in an instant, the boat was at shore and this woman and her family walked into the church to want to know who's Jesus? who's Jesus, who was this Jesus and they gave their lives to the Lord and found faith in Jesus. Yeah. 
great. Praise God. You see, what if we actually had this perspective that the impossibilities around us are simply opportunities for God to really work? If impossibilities are opportunities, then we've got a lot of opportunities before us. And it's a privilege and a priority to join with him in prayer. I mean, James gives this example, James chapter 5. He talks about Elijah. He says, now the prayers of the righteous are powerful. Look at Elijah. He was a man just like you and me. And he prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again and it did rain. And it's almost like he's saying, and so, you know, what's your story? Come on. Why don't, why don't you expand your reality of who God is and what he's wanting to accomplish just a little bit? Prayer is his opportunity into what he wants to do. And he is at work. See, there is an open invitation to prayer, to have an effective, powerful prayer life, for the, the eyes of heaven to be locked upon us as his righteous people, his ears waiting to respond as we pray in accordance to, with, to what he leads us to pray. doesn't matter if it's the refugee crisis, doesn't matter what is going on, there is an opportunity for us to partner with his purposes and plans in our world. You see, there's, there's been this thing all year, and I'm sure you've heard this come through, but we've become so content and comfortable with a form of Christianity. It's full of ritual, but it's devoid of real power. We're not, no longer the people burning with holy fire, are people loving their lives, even not loving their lives, even unto death, this pure and spotless bride that's washed in his blood, empowered by his spirit, and sent forth and commissioned to bring the glory of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And our strength is not in the ability to make plans, to strategize, to run programs. Our strength is in our ability to stay on our knees, to recognize the utter futility of human effort apart from the mighty manifestation of his divine power, but recognizing our responsibility as human agents to partner with him, to see what he's doing and to pray until it is accomplished in our time. Now we are on the earth. We're on this planet, not just to suck up oxygen not just to sit on the shores of defeat and admire the waves and think, well, life's miserable and there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, we're put on here for a purpose, to get right into the midst of it, to discover a God who's good, to grab a hold of his promises and to pray and to pray and to pray and to keep on praying till we see his kingdom come, his will be done in our city and our nation. Will he find this kind of faith when he returns? I want to put up my hand and say, Lord, make me that person. Make me one of those people. Here I am. Use me and use us in whatever way you would desire. So let's pray. We have a prayer meeting tonight. That's a very long plug for it, isn't it? But if you'd like to join us, honestly, I say this without any exaggeration, but I reckon my favorite, certainly one of my favorite moments every month when I do one prayer meeting a month is just getting together as his people just to worship him and to pray. Just to worship and pray and worship and pray. It's always a wonderful time. So if you'd like to come and join us, 5.30 tonight, we'll be here. We'll be worshiping and praying.
But let's close our eyes. And I particularly want to pray that the Lord would stir us in this area of prayer. So if you want to receive this, just put your hand on your heart. This is a symbolic way of saying, yes, Lord, I receive this. Do this in me. But Lord, I want to pray. I want to pray for myself. I want to pray for anybody else in this room who would say yes to this invitation. Lord, would you make us this type of person that you talk about in Luke chapter 18? This type of person that would have faith to pray and to not lose heart. Lord, it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to be discouraged by the waves, by things around us. But Lord, there is an invitation for us to grab a hold of a God who is good. A God who proves himself to us time after time in the midst of every season. And a God who calls us to partner with him to pray. Thank you that you are faithful to all that you've promised. And we want to grab a hold of your promises for us, for our city, for our nation. I thank you that one thing scripture declares is that any impossibility, whatever it may be, is simply an opportunity for your power and your grace and the mighty manifestation of the glory of our God to shine through. Lord, we believe that you are willing and you are able. You're the same yesterday, today and forever. The same God that delivered his people from Egypt. The same God that parted the Red Sea. The same God that raised the dead, that cleansed the lepers, that proclaimed the kingdom of God is here. That same God is with us we believe that and Lord we want to press in for all that you have for us as your people at this time we pray in your name Lord Jesus Amen Amen thank you for the rain Lord let the rain of your spirit come